You're listening to the Mystery Behind Magic podcast, the podcast for ever learning magicians. Brought to you by Chanat Kish and Robbie Stevens. You can get years and years of experience in just under one hour and listen to exclusive conversations with some of the best minds in magic. In today's episode, we spoke to David Fung about how he got into magic and then how he put shows together and what the process looks like for that. Then his 2019 uh, show, The Stabbed Card, um, then his future show, which is hopefully going to happen later on this year, the 19th century show. Then we finished it off with a quick fire round question. He very kindly put together a document called Lessons I've Learned. And then he sort of, he talks about five main points we discussed um, in the podcast. And if you would like to get that document, you can go to our Facebook uh, group, The Mystery Behind Magic. Um, or uh, you can sign up to our newsletter, uh, which is on our website, www.themysterybehindmagic.co.uk forward slash newsletter. We'll have both of those linked in the description, along with uh, his website, Instagram and Facebook page. How did you find the episode, Robbie? Yeah, I, I really like David. I saw his show, The Stabbed Card in 2019, and it was a really good show so it was really nice to have him on here to talk about it but yeah david's a really nice guy uh, it, he was really nice and kind to make the page of all the points he thought were valuable so thank you david and this is a really good episode with lots of different points especially i think about business which is really helpful mm-hmm. but yeah it's a great episode Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello and welcome to the mystery behind magic. I'm Chanat Kish. And I am Robbie Stevens and in today's episode we are joined with David Fung. How are you today, David? I'm well, thank you. How are you, Robbie? I'm I'm really good, thanks. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, David, for coming on the podcast. And let's get right back uh, to the beginning. Where did your love for magic begin? Uh, well, basically, it was a, a magic kit that I got when I was eight years old. And why why did you keep uh, going with magic? What made your uh, interest and love for magic alive? Uh, so, yeah, so like most kids, I... I like many children I, I got a magic set when i was young um and often it just gets put in the attic but i hold held on to that love and held on to the box and i've still got it now actually uh, the the magic box that i had oh, wow. um so it's something that's followed me throughout my life and it's just a passion that i've i've had all my life so magic or, or any hobby i suppose is something that you can come back to when when the time is right it's always there but you can you might be busy with other things, but it's something that you can always come back to, which which is something I love. Who were your biggest influences when you were first beginning in magic? So the the magic box that I that I mentioned was actually a Paul Daniels magic box, and I feel like you can show the the age of any magician by the 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 TV influences that they had when they were young so mine was a Paul Daniels magic box and later it might have been a, a dynamo magic box or, or something uh, so obviously at the time the 
the, the top magician of the TV world, of the public world, was Paul Daniels. And so you might say, uh, he got me into magic originally. And then throughout my time, I kind of read lots of books around around different magicians, different kinds of work. And I actually met a lot of magicians uh, growing up as a teenager in London, which was also really amazing to be able to meet uh, other magicians and, and to learn from them. And what do you think, um, what did you like about the magicians you met? Or was there anything that stood out with them and you were like, oh, that that's really interesting and I want to do this? So a lot of the magicians I made, the friends that I made earlier on, they became really good friends and they still are. And and one interesting thing is that they were all different ages. So at that time I was a teenager and they they were probably well, ranging from teenager to, to older. And I feel like having friends of different generations is, is really nice to learn from the experience of different people and the different views and the different stories that they've had um but having something like magic to to bridge that so you have something to share just really makes it because you know you might think oh i have nothing in common with somebody who's a very different age to me but actually we do share this this passion and love for magic so i find that really interesting and i've learned a lot so much from from other magicians and friends and people that I know and people that I can grow with. And when was the first time that you put on a magic show? So yeah, that links really, really well back to uh, my my teenage years of, of traveling to London and meeting up with with groups of magicians. And uh, at that time, a friend of mine was starting to put on some small local magic shows and asked me to be involved. So this was the first time that I was involved in a, a stage magic show, if you like, as a, as a performer on the bill. And I learned a lot from that experience and which I still carrying forward to now. So, I mean, this is quite a broad question, but how do you give your magic more meaning instead of just saying here's a trick and just kind of going through the actions yeah that's really broad topic that we could we could speak on for hours and um so so i see magic as an art and and we as performers or or writers of of our magic routines are the artists and our performance is the work that we are putting out so I approach a performance as as a as a work as the final work rather than looking at the trick as the final piece that we're we're mastering we've mastered the trick that's great but how does it finally manifest it manifests as as a performance from probably from you as a magician as a performer to the audience so I think once you've mastered the trick then you have to find a way to perform it and make it your your work. Your, so tell your story, think about what you want to communicate to the audience, do you, what you want them to feel. You need to look at it as, 
as a performance rather than as a trigger. And so that's how I approach creating work and how I start to think about uh, what I'm doing as a magician and what I'm saying to an audience. And back to your question, what that, uh, what was your question again? Uh, how to give magic more meaning. More meaning, yeah. And, and so through that process, I feel you can take the trick and once you're thinking about how you're communicating, what you're communicating, then you're kind of using the trick to imbue that meaning into your performance. So start with having something to say, a story to tell or some idea that you want to share. And it might just be, this is a great trick. I want to play with your perception of the world and start there. And that's your, that's your root. That's your meaning. That's what you want to convey. And then bring the trick that you've learned this, this little trick, this little illusion, and then turn it into a performance based around that idea. Yeah. And how has that process of, um, making your magic, um, more like a piece of art than just, for example, work or something you have to do. Um, how has that sort of process changed from the first time you did a show uh, to now? So I think my my theory has has really influenced what I what I do and what I put out as a magician. And I think sometimes when we speak about art and being artists, it all gets very heavy and maybe even pretentious. And that's not what I intend. I, I just want to say that. I think we are all artists, you know, I think every one of us, when, when we, whatever we wear in the morning, whenever we walk out of the door, that's, that's our work. That's what we're putting out um, for other people to share. That's, that's the work that we're putting out. And so, so my, my investigation of theory and building these, these ideas has helped to shape how I approach the subject. And by rooting that in what I believe and what I want to put out that helps going forward you know where you're going you know what you want to say to an extent or you know that you want to say something and then I hope that that's then rooted that that root then is conveyed in in my work how have these how have you kind of got these ideas have how much of them have come from influences such as books where you read something and then you're like, okay, I can agree with that versus just learning through the experience where you then realize, okay, I should do this and not this. Yeah. So I, I think there's absolutely no right or wrong answer and the only right answer is that we keep moving and don't stop and keep learning. And I'm not going to say that my theory is brilliant. I'm not going to say my performance is brilliant. It's just a case of drawing from whatever you can, whether it's reading about theory, learning new tricks, getting performance experience and keeping, keeping moving and finding your own way. So for me, the theory is important because it, 
it's wrapped up in when we perform, we we need to reflect on what went well, what didn't go so well. So as a scientist, as a if if we're applying the scientific method, we once we go out, we get that experience, we perform, we read the reactions, we find out what worked, what didn't, which which slide of hand went was spotted, which bits got the laugh or or whatever reaction that we draw, we, we get gather that evidence, but then we have to learn from that evidence and take it forward to the next performance. So I think the way that the these theories fit into that is is our way of examining the evidence uh, and saying, okay, this line didn't get the right reaction. You might intuitively know, okay, I said it too early or too late or I it was it was in the wrong place. But it's that kind of analytical process of looking back at what worked and what didn't and how can we improve and moving forward so that the next performance is even better. So where have you gotten some of your theory from? Have they, What are the kind of main influential books and articles been for you? Yeah, that's a good question. So I like to read as much as possible and I've got quite a few books and tried to get a variety of books like books of tricks, books of theory, books of business, books of novels, all kind of books. Um, so speaking specifically on theory, there are a few uh, core books which I recommend and I'll, I'll name a few. So there's the Fitzkey Trilogy, which is a very old book. Um, the key one is Showmanship for Magicians. And it talks about how to really turn tricks into a performance, a presentation. There's Darwin Ortiz books. There's Strong Magic and uh, Designing Miracles, which talk about how to take a trick and turn it into magic, I think. And um, there's the Ascanio books. Ascanio is an amazing, or was an amazing uh, Spanish magician and he he kind of built this school this analytical school of, of theory and I think that every magician should read his book the structural conception of magic it's just it's just an amazing model for looking at what's important in magic and how we how we make magic and how we perform magic and how it works and why it works and there are many other theory books from from throughout the decades. And some of them are very heavy and some of them are very outdated in terms of you might read half of it and not agree with three quarters of it or or whatever. But I think drawing on that knowledge that's already out there is a is a really good way to start thinking about your own what you want to say, basically, what what you want to put out as a magician, as an artist, and how you might approach that. Yeah. So for magicians who haven't specifically thought about uh, their sort of theory and their thought process into magic, what would you recommend the first step um, would, would be to do? The first step? I I think is just to 
have fun. I think uh, when we talk about theory and and when we talk about uh, like these kind of deep issues, like if there's pressure to make money from magic or if there's pressure to to kind of say something or or there's pressure there's external pressure around what you're doing you you might lose that passion you might lose that reason that you're doing it so i think the first thing is to have fun with it and and play with it and through that process of play you know you you probably have a few books already and, and pick up a book and just flip through it and learn something new and through that process of play you find the things that you like and the things that touch you emotionally and through that process of play you probably share it with friends and family or throughout performances that you do and you find your way and then once you've found something you like something you enjoy something that you means something to you then you can go develop that way further you might find you might be a close-up magician you might be a card magician and you might suddenly find yourself performing and you might be surrounded by a group of 20 people and and then you think okay well i was doing small card tricks for a small group of people but suddenly i've got 20 people around me and then you might think okay this is great i love this feeling i'm on stage i'm i'm making my actions bigger i'm i'm kind of making eye contact with 20 people and are having to step back and you're exploring this new environment and then you might stop and think but actually I was doing card tricks but I didn't have any card tricks which were visible which were appropriate for such a big audience which got more people involved and then you might stop and think I really enjoy this I want to know more and you might then pick up some books on bigger card miracles or the, you might get a book like uh, Jeffrey Durham's book on which is really another brilliant one with, with lots of theory wound into it and explore some stand-up routines and you might go that way so I think to answer your question is about play and following what you feel following what you like and again there's no right or wrong way about it the if you know where you're going then you just keep moving towards that Yeah. How would you say the best way to experience as many um, forms of magic as possible? Because I think quite early on, a lot of people just keep with the with the style or, you know, the type of magic they do. So whether that's close up stage coin routines or, you know, uh, cardistry or with something with cards. So how do you think the best way of experiencing more, more, more of the areas of magic is? I think we need to step outside and that means stepping outside of the magic world and stepping outside of our houses and meeting people and getting around, get to the theatre, get to the cinema, watch, absorb, learn, look for, you know, when, you, when you're walking in the park, look for little bits of inspiration, colours, things that make you feel different ways. And that will help us widen our horizons. So specifically, you're asking about, you know, I'm a, I'm a coin magician. How do I get into card manipulation? 
and well that's that's kind of easy you buy some books buy some dvds talk to some people watch some youtube videos about that uh but really building on that is like i know we're going to talk about this a little bit later i think which is as a young magician i was mostly a close-up magician um but for a having some opportunities for some having some experience I developed some stand-up material and got some experience as putting on shows and and building on platform shows so again like start with what you want to say who you want to be what you want to do and then look for opportunities and learn and experience and just keep learning and keep going forwards Moving on a bit, so I saw your show, The Stabbed Cards. I can't remember what, when it was, maybe 2019? Yeah. Was it 2018? Uh, yeah, okay, well, the out we had, it must have been 2018, I think. Okay, yeah, it was, it was really good, and you finished on this piece of magic, well, it says it in the title of the show the stabs card how did you come up with that concept did you know from the beginning when you wanted to do a show that you wanted to finish with that piece of magic yeah i kind of did in that show actually i i've always loved that routine the the card stab where all the cards are on the table and you get a knife and you stab the one of the selected cards. I've always wanted to explore this routine and I've always wanted to perform this routine. And you might, so originally I thought, okay, maybe this is not like a close up, this is not a walk around trick, definitely. You can perform at a wedding or something. It, it, needs, a, it needs a table, it needs a space, it needs, I think the version I did had eight cards chosen. So it needs a group of people or to pick eight cards. It needs some, theatrics it needs a, a special environment so i started i've always wanted to do this trick um and then from there i thought this this is a good name for the show it's a good finale it kind of draws people in um so actually in in for this show i did build uh the the show the branding everything around around this idea of the stabbed card being the finale and People don't know what the stab card is when when they're arriving. They know at the end, and it kind of builds up this big finale. Uh, again, there's many ways to to approach the creative process. This this is one way. This for this particular show, this was the way that I use. You might you might like to use this method um, if it works for you. So, what were the first few steps? once you decided that you wanted to have that routine at the end, what did you then go about doing to get you further towards your goal of having then an end show? Okay, so first of all, I I started with my the body of work that I'd already uh, produced. So I started with who... I was as a magician, what my performing persona is, what I wanted to, 
what I want as a magician to share with my audience. So again, it comes back to having that that root of who you are, what you want to do, what's your meaning, what what is what is your final message, what do you want your audience to feel. So I started with that. So I knew that okay, it's going to be an hour show or, or whatever, and I'm going to be performing. I'm going to be sharing my magic with the audience as as myself. So from there, I I came up with this concept of okay, it's going to be the stabbed card. It's going to be the finale. I'm going to be able to perform that at the end. And what else? What other stories do I want to share with the audience throughout the hour? So mostly, I I wanted a variety, so I wove into that the variety of uh, of routines in terms of there were there were routines to music, there were uh, routines with music in the back, which were kind of more abstract. There were interactive routines and quick routines, funny routines. So I. Again, I explored a few tricks that I'd always wanted to perform on stage, but maybe hadn't had the opportunity, or tricks that I'd always wanted to develop, and maybe just needed that push, that push to to work on them a little bit. So then, the next step is to write a script, and I think this is really important for for putting on a show, in particular. I think it's really important for. Any performance, if it's a close-up performance at a gig, or if it's a close-up performance just for friends and family, I think a script is a really important step in terms of getting towards what you want to do in the final performance. So the next step is I I sat down and, and gathered all these thoughts and wrote a strict script from beginning to end for the show. And what's your specific process of writing a script? Because um, I, I think it develops over time and for each person, uh, you, you know, it's different. But has writing a script for you changed a lot or are you doing a similar process? Yeah, absolutely. It's different for everyone. And and for me, it's it starts with imagining, imagining the show and imagining the uh, impact I want to have on the audience, imagining the journey I'm taking the audience on, imagining the, the rise and fall in the, in the mood, in the atmosphere, and the texture of the show as a whole. So it starts with a lot of imagining, lots of scribbling, notes, drawing, playing with tricks playing with lines playing with music then eventually you're going to have to end up with a document which which is a blueprint of everything that you're going to do in the show and and so essentially the script is just a sheet of paper which says all the lines you're going to say and all the things that roughly going to happen and what people are going to do and so to get there, you can take any route you like. You can sit down with a blank piece of paper and no thoughts at all and just write and write 20 pages. And then you've, you've got a, a script, the first draft. Um, but for me, it starts with 
imagining the concept, imagining what I want to say. Then once I've got a picture of the show, just sitting down and attacking the first draft. One thing One I thought thing was I quite interesting quite... about the show when I watched it was that halfway through, kind of somewhat like an interval, you had Red Scarlets or, or something along, another performer along the lines of that kind of then interrupt the show and add his piece which he performed to the crowd. And I think it was something along... I think it was a murder mystery. I'm not, I'm not too sure, but how come you decided to have that in the show? Yeah, so this was a friend of mine who is a, a mentalist called the Saint in Scarlet, and I wanted to introduce him as a guest, and there are a few reasons for that. Uh, firstly, uh, uh, he mentioned he wanted some experience, uh, like we talked about before. He was primarily a close-up mentalist magician and wanted to get on stage and just wondered how you how you get that experience. And so I said, well, you put on a show. And, and that's how we ended up there. So partly I wanted to share that experience that I'd had as a teenager working with a friend on his shows as his as his guest performer and I wanted to to then share that opportunity and that experience and also I wanted somebody to work with so another piece of advice I have in in general is to collaborate and I hope we'll have opportunities to talk about that a little bit more in terms of putting on a show because collaboration is even more important when you're working on something bigger like a show as compared to a, a close-up performance so so another reason is that i wanted to collaborate and that was really important to me and it was really helpful to have somebody to to share the journey and share the process with and the third reason was coming back to thinking about what we want our show to look like and I talked about variety and texture in terms of I don't want to just be droning on and on and on for one hour. I don't want it to be just me doing tricks, trick, 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 trick. I want to have some music. I want to have some some texture. And for me, a good way to do that is to have a guest act who can come on and add an, add a new face and give some give the audience something unexpected and something different. And because he's a mentalist and I don't perform uh, much I don't perform mentalism as mentalism and I don't perform much mind reading magic either that it really added that texture uh, to the to the show as a whole how do you get into contact with people um that they are having shows or uh how do you sort of get get into contact with someone uh, and then go into their show uh so for me when i was a teenager i like i say i had this group of friends that i'd meet in london and that was through an old uh, internet magic forum 
and, and that's how I, I made a, a circle of, of magician friends. Um, I guess a, a broader question is how do you expand your network as a, as a magician, particularly maybe as a young magician? And I suppose, again, if we're talking about shows in theatres, then you're looking to find a network of local magicians. And that being said, we now we now have Zoom magic shows and we have this, this other platform. So you may have a network that you've built through friends on Instagram or, or another network and you might jointly or individually decide to put on a Zoom show and you might want to approach it that way. So the 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 collaboration in terms of putting on a show with other magicians really grew from my groups of magician friends, my network of magicians locally, and and it grew from that desire, that shared that shared intention that we both wanted to put on a show. We both wanted to get some experience, and at some point, somebody has to to do the work. And say, okay, well, I'm putting on a show. Do you know what? You know, do you want to be involved? And at some point, somebody has to be proactive and and then persuade other people to get on board. And hopefully, you share some interest and share some goals. Once you've got that, how do you start with trying to find and book a venue? Because your venue was quite nice. It was an intimate kind of room with seating and you're up close so how did you start with finding that so for the venue that I had my show in in 2018 I was really lucky because it was a local small theatre who I'd already built up a relationship with through working with them by getting involved in the running of the theatre, by working front of house, working backstage on plays, work, and I even got involved in, in a few plays, in small roles in the plays. So I'd, I'd built up this, this relationship with the people at the theatre already. And so I guess in, in, it's in a similar way that the opportunity comes as a result of building up that network and, and people that you that you already relate to and that you enjoy working with. So I was lucky for for that one uh, that I'd already found this this nice group of people that I could work with, but also this amazing space. So the show was in the studio space and it's a small studio. You can have an audience of 50 in there and it's got black walls and marvelous lighting and the first time I saw a play a small play in there I just thought this is this is where I want to perform magic it's such a magical space so that's why I decided oh, I want to do a show there uh, there are so many places you could do a show uh, another show I did in a few years ago was was in a church not in a it's a it's a bar that was a church and again, it's a, an amazing space in, in, the, in the crypt, I think it was, in, in the basement. It wasn't ideal for lighting. It wasn't ideal for, there was a big church pillar 
in the way, but is just a, an amazing space for, for a show. And so there's so many amazing spaces and you, you just have to look around and find one that works. But then there are two kind of issues that may seem at odds, which may be at odds at, at times, but you have to think about when you're putting on a show. The first is your, your, your show, your passion, your creativity that you want to put in. And so you're thinking about what's a good space for me to, to share my magic. But the second one is when you're putting on a show, the business side of things. And when you're looking at venues, you've got to agree on terms with the venue. And there, there are so many ways that this might work. Um, you might hire the space and then it might come with certain things like staff, ticket sales, box office, or you might come to a profit share agreement with the theatre. But the important thing is that you need to know about business. You need to work out this side of things to make it happen. You might find a perfect space, but it's, you know, it's, it's too expensive for what you want to do. So you need to work with the business side of producing the show at the same time as the creative side of directing, writing and performing the show. So after um, you've you've figured out what you're going to perform, after you found found a venue and have discussed on how how it's going to work, and you've got the business side figured out, what's next? So we're we're saying we've we've read up on business, which I think is really important. We've figured out our ticket price. We've we've done all that, and we've written the show. And we we are getting ready to put it on. Is that is that where we're at? We're getting ready to put it on. Yes. Yeah. 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 So after you've you've got your script, you know what's in the show. You've you're starting your marketing probably, or you you've got your marketing plan. How you're going to sell tickets? You've got all the contracts and everything worked out. Then is the production process starts. And I think the, the key message here is rehearse, 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 rehearse. And rehearsal is a lot different to practice. So when we practice tricks, we, we are practicing maybe our sleight of hand, we're practicing our, our script for, for a piece maybe, we're looking in a mirror maybe, we are practicing with magician friends, asking how does this look from this angle or whatever. We might run for a whole piece and practice that piece. But rehearsal, which I think is, is, is the key to the whole process. And for me, rehearsal is going from the start to the finish exactly, or the final process of rehearsal is going from the start of the performance to the finish of the performance, being as close as possible as you can to the final when it's live, when you're doing it for people. And the reason for this is because we 
there are so many other moving parts which happen when we put all the pieces together into a show. So there's there's moving parts like props, like if you you're six routines deep into your performance, and then you might find your pocket is now full, but you hadn't realized that it would be full before because you'd only done the tricks individually. So that's one example of things. Then another example of when you're doing a show is tech. The tech, the lighting, everything has to come together at the end and you won't necessarily spot problems or spot issues or opportunities when you're doing bits individually. So uh, the rehearsal process wants to end as close as possible to the show itself. Um, so once you've got your script and that's kind of where you want to end up before the run starts, before you start performing, before opening night. So you've got your script and the, the process to get from there to the, to the performance needs, I think, some, needs some planning, needs some scheduling. The one mistake I made on, on one of the shows that I put on which was a lesson I, I learned was not to, to leave the time during the run. So in this case, we, we got into the theater on, on the day of the performance, the performance would be in the evening and we got in and set up, I think around midday. And then we wanted to do a full run dress rehearsal in the afternoon before the show. But this this was just really stressful and it was too late, I think. So my advice there would be to, if possible, and it's not always possible because of cost, because of space, but if possible, get in to the theater the day before, do your dress rehearsal the day before so that on the day you're ready to go, even if the show is in the evening. But the bigger lesson here is to leave time and leave space. So another thing is if you're doing like several several shows over a week, leave space between them for rest and relaxation and 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 just winding down between shows, not having to run around between shows. So from the beginning of the process, the scheduling and planning your time is really important because you need to make sure you have time for producing the show, getting it getting it all ready, getting tech, getting everybody on board and then all the way through to the getting at the theater, the, the final dress rehearsal, you need to make sure you have time for all of that. So you're now kind of going about present day, try to get a 19th century show together. Could you talk a little bit about that, please? Uh, so the, the 19th century show I'm working on uh, will hopefully go ahead because at, at the time we're talking, it's it's still uh, uncertain due to the pandemic situation. Um, but this this is a show that I'm hoping to be part of. Uh, and it's, a, again, through my network of people that I know locally, uh, it's a show that's being put on and it has a music hall theme. This is a 19th century style of, of variety show with singing and dancing and, and variety. 
and I've been invited to perform as a guest uh, magic act within this. So I thought this is a really brilliant opportunity for me to to look into, to research, to develop a 19th century style uh, magic piece that I can use within within a show. So again, it comes back to working with people, collaborating with people. In this case, it's not my show. I'm a guest on somebody else's show. And that's a really great opportunity for me to collaborate with new people on a new project and, and to get on stage and share what I do. And also to work on something that I've never really played with, which is period magic, I suppose. And what does the... Pl- planning process look like uh now for that it's sort of in the present day so you've got the invitation um what what do you do next so i've i've got the i've got the invitation i've got the opportunity we've talked about the the terms it might work on we've talked about how the the spot might work so it might be a 10 minute spot or two 10 minute spots or a 20 minute spot so we've discussed how that might work so in this case i've kind of got freedom so we know what the the booker we know what the the show producers are expecting so let's let's assume that i've got a 10 minute spot to do some 19th century magic so from there i know you know i've been reading uh, robert houdin secrets of conjuring and magic uh, which which I've wanted to read. I've had it on my shelf for so long and I've been reading it as research in preparation for thinking about what I might perform in this act, what 10-minute act I might put together. So at the moment, I'm thinking about what tricks I might want to do. Will they be uh, card tricks or what kind of style it will be? I think I'm thinking about my dress. I'm thinking I'll I'll dress in, in the style and I'm thinking about my language and I'm thinking... I will use the language of the 19th century. From there, I'm not sure. That's as far as I've got. Um, But I know that I'll keep reading and keep exploring and and developing. And the interesting thing is it will, it's not going to be a new character for me, but it's going to be an extension of what I do as as myself, as David Fung. It's going to be a 19th century version. So it will all come together. Um, but then, yeah, so again, back to the, the creative process we talked about. For me, it's going to be coming up with that story, that that piece, writing a script for it, and then putting it on its legs and and doing it as many times as possible uh, for, that's, re- that's the rehearsal process. And then when it comes to the show, the, the producers have scheduled in a, a, a full dress rehearsal on the stage for, for everyone in the in the in the cast so by that time i will be ready to perform on stage for for the for the cast in the dress rehearsal and and then after that it will it will be performed so David, how with well let's go to back to the stabbed card how did you go about finding the people to actually see your magic because obviously once you've got your acts and you've got the venue 
you then need people to show it to you. So how did you go about doing that? Yeah, it's so important to to advertise, to market the show. And for me, putting on a show or or performing as a magician, it's, it's a business. And it's so important that you look at it as show business and you focus on the business. I think it's like 50% or more is the business side of things. So when I split it into like the creative side and the producing side, producing a show is is all about the business. So I learned so much through putting on the show and I keep learning and learning about running a business as a magician. So I think you really, if you want to do this, you need to study business as business because you need to advertise the show, you need to market the show, you need to, in particular, you need to look at your profit and loss so that you know your ticket sales and everything else is going to cover your marketing and your venue and everything else. And none of this is taught in the magic books generally. So you need to study business. And that's so important if you want to be putting on your own show, if you want to produce your own show. Um, so, so advertising is is an important part and I guess it's called bums on seats. You need to sell those tickets in order to, to build revenue for your business. Um, so I did this by, by designing some posters myself, um, getting some nice photos for the posters and for the flyers, um, distributing the flyers around the local area, making sure they were in the theater itself, putting up posters where I could um, using digital media so I did some Facebook ads and I made sure the Facebook events it was on my web page it was on all the local directories um, there's like events directories which will share your event uh, to the local community um, and also by building on my network so because the show was local to me I'd already built up a network of of colleagues and friends and people that would have loved to come and support my show and to come and see me work and so it was a combination of those factors that got people in um, but it was it worked successfully and again this is really a topic that's so important and you need to learn how to do it and I'm learning and I learned so much from the process of putting on the show. And so I, it's something I'd really recommend, but it's hard work. So what what's the best way of um, going around learning how to market a show? Is there a specific book, maybe a podcast or, or, or a blog, or is it just getting actual experience and going out there and putting on a show? It's a combination, and I think there's no better way than just going out there and putting on a show. But at the same time, there's things you need to know. Like, if, you, if you're not aware of concepts of, like, break-even point, then you're going to have a hard time. 
because you've got to know that your ticket price is going to cover your costs and you've got to know how many tickets you have to sell to cover those costs so that's kind of like you can think of that as oh, the theoretical side you know is that's knowledge you have to know before you start but at the same time if you go out and you know you're learning through the experience if you didn't know that before you'd know it afterwards because you you probably lost some amount of money or you haven't and you've been very lucky uh so again there's no right or wrong way you you're going to learn it one way or another me i'm i'm kind of risk averse so i will want to know and want to plan as much as possible before i i do it and so they have to come together but like like you suggested there's no better way than than going out and doing it um in terms of building that knowledge and, and building that education there's so many books that you can read if if you enjoy that there's courses you can do i remember i did a business studies course in in school which actually at the time it all seemed very theoretical and it was but all of those lessons are you know i'm slowly realizing they they slowly click into place bit by bit um there are business organizations which will help you which will help offer training offer one to one support help you to network with other businesses and discuss your plan discuss your idea and so this is a whole oh there's podcasts even this magician's business podcasts um there's a whole other area that that you need to explore if you want to look into the show business and producing the show if you're lucky and you working with somebody who has that experience or has that knowledge and you can collaborate in that way then you can probably avoid a lot of this like you know if you're a guest spot on somebody else's show or you're you're working with somebody else with the leaflets posters and all that kind of stuff where's the best place to get them uh so for the design um again lucky because i have some experience in the past of web design and and building flyers and and using photoshop um so i think it is the design is really important for me because it's it's part of my work it's part of the image i want to put out so to get the visuals looking right and not something that's like whipped up in microsoft word or something that's important so for that you might have to use your network to find find a designer but once you've got your poster in, in digital form uh really the printing is relatively cheap these days so you can you know there's loads of internet printers i think i used a, one of them to get like 5000 or 2000 printed out double sided on you know you can choose the paper stock glossy or whatever but it's relatively cheap like i think might be or less than 50 pound definitely you can get like way more than you need of the flyers um so yeah for for the printing there's loads of options there's also local companies that you'll find you might you might use if you're 
if you don't have a designer, you might find a local company who you can talk to and who might help you design or help show you different paper stocks or or speak speak you through it. But yeah, that's a a cheap, I suppose, relatively cheap and relatively simple thing to do apart from the design, which you might have to think more about. So once you've got the leaflets, posters and all of that, are there any specific locations where you want to put them up? Did you specifically target places on the street where you kind of maybe put one up because you knew lots of people were going to go past there? Uh, I took them with me all the time and put them wherever I could. Um, specifically, I wanted them at the theatre uh, because they have racks where you can put it and it's you can expect that if there are people that were at the theatre maybe seeing a show, then you can expect that they might go back to that theatre for another show in the future. So they're already like a little bit further down the, the kind of funnel process because they're already familiar with the venue. So I made sure that they were at the theatre and they had poster displays as well, so I could be bigger at the theatre. I made sure that all my friends, everyone in my network who was willing to share had had uh, a few that they could hand to their friends. Uh, friends of mine said, oh yeah, I left some of your stack of your posters in my local pub. Um, so I was in pubs on a leaflet racks that I had no idea of and a lot of the time these small local businesses are, are completely willing to help support and promote your show you just have to ask uh, so I, yeah I had thousands and just gave them out and and as much as I could just got them everywhere I could for the for the flyers that is um, for the digital marketing as well is a case of being in as many places as possible. Like I mentioned, directories, Facebook, absolutely, um, Instagram, wherever your market is. So a lot of my um, audience, I think, were friends of friends, people that I had been in contact with, people that had told, for example, you know, they left the posters in their local, so people that had heard about it through friends or friends of friends. And I was told by some people, oh, I'm seeing your show everywhere. And this is, I suppose, the kind of, that's what you want to hear because that's when you know it's working. You know, oh, I saw you on Facebook. Oh, and then I heard you on the local radio. And then I was walking past the theatre and I saw your poster in the window and then I had to come and see it, you know. So again, that's marketing and, and I'm learning and I learn a lot from that. So I really recommend trying it and, and learning and studying about sales and marketing and advertising and how to sell. And yeah, in this, in this case, it worked and it worked well. So uh, that was a success. Um, but the other thing about uh, business and also about my own magic is even if all of that marketing, all of that exposure hadn't sold the tickets, 
it would have been worth it for me as a business because of the profile that it created, because of that awareness it created about me as a magician locally, about me as a, as a brand. So again, that's business concepts that, that I'm learning about and I'd recommend if you, you want to do this as a business that you learn about as well. But so the big benefit of doing the show for me was this exposure, this awareness, this brand kind of building my brand, spreading my, putting my face around the town and, and getting people talking about my show. That's great. Thank you so much, David, for coming on the podcast. And uh, thank you so much for sharing everything. And now to finish the podcast off, we're going to do a quick fire round. Quest, uh, yeah, quick fire round. Well, you're really so, welcome. It's been, it's been uh, really interesting and I love you know my work is all about sharing so i love to share so yeah if people want to get in touch i can share what i learned which is you know a small amount in the big scale of things but i, I really want to share more yeah that's great so um what's your favorite deck of cards uh cheap red bicycles or blue it doesn't matter if you could only keep one book on the theory of magic, what would it be and why? It would be S.H. Sharp, Art and Magic. It's a really deep, really abstract, really philosophical collection of essays, quotes, thoughts by a, a relatively unknown magician writer. And it will just keep you busy for lifetimes over in terms of deeply thinking about the art of magic and you'll be inspired you can pick it up and read a quote and find draw from that quote a trick or a routine or a piece or your it's a treasure trove of random bits if you could meet any magician past or present who would it be and why Oh, it would be Robert Houdin, the father of modern magic, because he, his style, I think, influenced all of us modern magicians in terms of made it, it was kind of on that, that boundary of, of bringing it real, like, the naturalness and he also was very popular very famous very he made a good amount of money and this can only be for his business acumen um the stories say he was a very good magician and a gentleman if you could only perform one effect what would it be one effect it would be a production do I have to pick one that I can do? Or just like a, a make-believe? <laughs> uh, think... One that you can <laughs> do or is possible that you can do. Okay, it would, it would have to be production because things appearing is just the, the pure you know, matter from nothing. So it would probably be my bottle production from a towel or a, a napkin. Production of a, a bottle of 
alcohol. If you couldn't do magic, what would you do? If I could do magic, I would make food, <laughs> feed the poor, make, uh, you know, make an abundance. Like, I want to say money, I'd make money, but money is, you know, I think really what, it, what it's about is abundance and, and creating enough for everyone to to have, to, to live, to survive, to enjoy, is have abundance and share it. If you forgot everything about magic today, and then you were, you, you had to go about relearning magic, what would those first few steps of trying to relearn the art form be? Back to what we discussed right at the beginning, it would be to play, to have fun, to share, to run around like, you know, if your magic was a garden, just run around and smell all the flowers and, and play and, and just have as much fun and, and try new things and do everything you like and, and share with other people, share with magicians, share with friends, have as much fun as possible. What piece of advice would you give to our listeners? Final piece of advice. Have fun again. Enjoy it. If you're not enjoying it, then, you know, life's too short. Find something you enjoy. That's great. Thank you so much, David, once again for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate yeah, it. Thank, thank you, you Yeah, well, thank you for sharing you. everything nice you did with us. It was so interesting. Thank you. And thank you so much for tuning in to The Mystery Behind Magic. Um, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. Once again, if you want to um, get the document uh, by David Fung of the lessons I've learnt um, with the five bullet points, and it's sort of he explained them all, um, you can sign up to our Facebook group, uh, The Mystery Behind Magic, or our newsletter, which you can find on our website. Both, both of those will be linked in the description below. If you want to find out more about David, you can go to his website, davidfung.co.uk, his Instagram, instagram.com forward slash davidfunguk, um, and his Facebook, facebook.com forward slash davidfunguk. And once again, we'll have all of those linked in the description below. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope to see you next time.